But Luke 18, and reading at verse 9 then. And so we're continuing the series that we're looking at together, follow, following Jesus. Follow Jesus, looking at, uh, from, from Luke's gospel. How can we um, follow Jesus Christ as disciples, as disciples of footstep followers? So how today can we continue to follow Jesus and live a life for him? That's what a Christian is, a follower of Jesus Christ. So this is what we're looking at together. So it's called the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. If you're reading in the NIV, that's a little uh, heading that it has. It's not original from the translators, but it helps us identify the focus of the story. And the translators have put that there. Other translations might have something a little different. But it's just a, a short reading, and it reads like this from verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told them this parable or story. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but beat his chest, his breast, and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So we're going to look this morning, and the theme we're looking at is being proud to be humble. Which on the face of it doesn't sound right, because if you're proud of being humble, then you're not humble. But in this story, that's exactly what this religious man fell into. He became very proud at being very spiritual, so he thought, And having a sense of godly humility. And then Jesus shows what it really truly is to be a follower of him and a follower of God and to give our lives to God. I I came across this little caption recently. See that the certificate of humility on, uh, sometimes you get, you know, you find these little captions or some that, that sort of tickles you. Uh, certificate of humility, somebody's proud of themselves there, aren't they? But if you're that proud, then you're not really that humble. So I want to look at a couple of things this morning then, by way, uh, by way of introduction. First of all then, is attitude. In this story, it's really a story of two conflicting attitudes. Don't run for cover before you say, here he goes again. If, if anything that I speak about in church life is about attitude, my own attitude, our attitude, our attitude in Christ. And, but it's something that Jesus spoke about all the time. Your heart, not just your mind, your heart, your spirit, your mind, your soul, attitude. And so in this story, we have two conflicting attitudes. It says in verse 9, to some who were confident... And this is the giveaway. To some, there was a whole group of people around him. And Jesus sensed the hearts and minds of people. He sensed an attitude out there, as it were. To some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told them this story. And so then he goes on to tell a story of a 
a Pharisee, a religious man, and a story of a tax collector. And so what we find in this story is um, conflicting attitude of the pride of a man who was a Pharisee and the humility of a man who was a tax collector. And that's what this story is about. It's a, it's a conflict. And Jesus shows this conflict in life. And, he's, and he then shows, he goes on to show the benefit of humility. How if we humble ourselves, God raises us up. Those that are low, he puts them high. Those that think you're high, he places you low. And so there's a benefit to knowing. So we're going to look at this together. So there's this attitude. Uh, I've, I, I've spoke a lot. So I won't bash on about it too much, just a little bit this morning. <laughs> but um, I find that attitude, and it's not just a little ditty buzzword, but attitude affects my altitude. My outlook on life will affect what I do in life, where I go. It's a fact. I mean, it's an observable fact. A person's thinking can affect our acting. The way we act, the way we do things. You know, you do not need to be a brain surgeon to grasp that one. Psychologists spend years observing how people think and then matching that up with how they act. And thinking and acting are really powerful when they come together. Um, so now, but now Jesus um, straight away saw hearts. He sees heart. He sees your heart, my heart this morning. God isn't affected by what we are on the outside. And this Pharisee did everything that you should do. In actual fact, I would, I would say really commendable. A commendable spiritual life in some ways. But it's what was on the inside. It's what was in his heart. It's what was in his mind. What makes you tick? We've spoke about this a few times. Um, so attitudes and actions. Our attitude determines very often our action. Now... The Bible has a lot to say, particularly in the New Testament. The writers of the New Testament have a lot to say about this. And Jesus is speaking a story to show up an attitude that's not good and give an attitude that is good for the kingdom, okay? And so therefore, there's something for our lives. If we, when we look at this story, there's something we can adopt that could be good for your life. There's an attitude that would be good for your health, good for your mind, but good for most primarily our spiritual health, our relationship with Jesus Christ, so that we can follow Jesus. A um, couple of things I would say, and uh, it's not a definitive list, but a couple of scriptures, so that you're not saying, oh, hang on, Adrian, this is a load of old psychology. It's not at all. All psychologists do is just observe what God has already said. Okay? But let, let me just give you a couple of scriptures. Romans 12, verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Boom, boom. Romans 12, 2, that is. In other words, don't go along with the world, the thinking and attitude and the heart, the philosophy, the mindset. I think one translation says, don't have, the, have, don't have that mindset. We are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, renewing in the power of the Holy Spirit, renewing through the word of God, renewing with Christ within us. Transformed by the renewing of our mind, the mind, the heart, the soul, our spirit. What makes you, you? A complete kingdom attitude. A lot of people would talk about a kingdom attitude, the attitude of God, the attitude of Christ. And that comes from a transforming power of Jesus Christ in our hearts and lives through the Holy Spirit being with us and in us. And the grace of God 
freeing us and the word of God changing us. It's amazing. It's amazing. This can happen in your mind and in your heart. So it's dealing with attitude, Romans 12, and spirit and heart. Um, Philippians, someone sent me, uh, I won't say who, but someone in church sent me a beautiful scripture, this very scripture in Philippians, not realizing I was going to mention it this morning. So I take that as a confirmation during the week that uh, this very scripture that I'm about to read, Philippians 2, Philippians 2 and 5, we read this in the NIV. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, says in the NIV. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And it speaks about Jesus' humility, how he humbled himself even to death and death on the cross. Didn't consider having equality with God something he should keep hold of. So there's this idea of humility and attitude. Let me read it like this. In the Amplified, that same verse, Philippians 2.5, reads like this. The Amplified is a version, a translation of the New Testament, the Bible rather, which expands the original Greek translation. And it reads like this. Let this same attitude and purpose and humble mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Let him be your example in humility. It's amazing. Get hold of uh, the translation that amplified. It really helps. Let the same attitude and purpose and humble mind be in you, which was in Christ. Let him be your example in humility. In other words, let the same humble attitude, the same attitude that didn't consider equality with God, something he should be held on to, but he released himself to come to earth and to give himself up and give all the benefits and glory of heaven up. That's called humility. And to give his life for us. Paul uh, saying, let the same attitude be in your heart. In other words, an attitude of humility. Mindset, says the NIV. Interesting translation. So attitude is incredibly important. Our attitude of Christ, first of all. So, so Jesus now shares this conflict. Um, and what is that conflict? Well, moving on. Second point is this. An attitude of pride for the Pharisee. Humility for the tax collector. So we see with the Pharisee, if you come back and look at the text in front of you, it says in verse 9 there, to some who were confident in their own right standing. In themselves, in other words. To some that were confident in themselves. In me. In their own right standing. This is what Jesus was speaking into. It's called pride. That's pride. You don't have to think, oh, I look beautiful this morning. You might, you might not think, you know, you look wonderful, but you do, do it yourself. You do it your way without God's way. That's pride. No matter how good you think you are, how bad you think you are, if you do it your way without God's way. Verse 9. Verse 11. Look at verse 11 there. In verse 11 it says, The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other, person, the other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like the tax collector. I fast twice a week. So with pride, it puts me at the centre, confident in themselves, and it compares ourselves to others. I'm better than them. Or I'm not doing what they do. Or this is for them. So we can sometimes think, this message is for them this morning. Oh, it's for that person at the back. Or that person at the front. Or that per- It looks at others. It compares. Sometimes it makes us feel that we are better than them. And so there's this idea of pride putting me at the very 
center. And that's pride. Comparing us then to others. I'm better than them. This is for them. You need to listen to this. Rather than me, I should be listening to it for myself. So pride really puts you and me at the center of our hearts and our, our lives. There's a sense there. It's all about me, Jesus. None of it's about you, because I'm going to do it my way. That's the song of pride. You know that song we sing, it's all about you? It's all about you. We can sing that and we don't realise that if I'm living life for me, I'm singing a different song. Even though the words are, it's all about you, Jesus, I'm really singing deep down inside, it's all about me. You might not go out of your way to say that, but if you are in charge of your soul, if you are comparing yourself or better than or it's for them, there's a danger. You can fall into, I can, I can fall into the trap of the Pharisee. The Pharisee was a religious man. <clears throat> I wouldn't be surprised if he was a pretty good man, actually. He fasted twice a week. In Israel, you only had to fast once a year. Day of Atonement. It's a pretty good deal. Pharisees fasted twice a week. They felt, but it became a burden and putting that burden upon other people. Gave a tenth. Gave, he, was, he was disciplined. You could say, well, he's a real follower of God. But his heart wasn't in the right place. And he put himself, and there were others thinking like that. And Jesus said, it's not good. That's an understatement. A man called William Barclay, he's a a Bible commentator, gone to be with the Lord a long time ago now, but he'd written a number of commentaries. And in one of his commentaries, he tells of a story. And he's on a train. You can tell how long ago it was, because it was a steam train. So it was in the late 40s, early 50s. And... um, he was, he's a Scotsman, so he was coming from Scotland to England. And on the journey, it was going slow enough so that he could watch the world go by. And he saw this, in, in the sunlight, as he crossed into England, uh, a lovely cottage on a hill. And it, it was a, a white, you know, one of these white type of cottages. And in the sun, it, it, it was glistening in the sun. And he thought, how, how lovely, how idyllic is that, that lovely little cottage. A couple of weeks later, he was on his way back home to Scotland. And uh, the weather was completely different. And uh, on that day back, snow was around, covered the ground everywhere. He said, and as they went back, and the snow was, it looked beautiful. You can imagine a snow-covered scene. He saw the same cottage. It's a true story. It's, it's something he's written. He said, he saw the same cottage, and um, it didn't look, against the snow, the pure white snow, it, it looked a bit drab. It looked a bit dreary, not as pure and brilliant against the snow, the Brilliant, pure snow. And, you know, we don't measure ourselves by ourselves, but by God. We look to him. This is why it's so amazing. He who is so pure looks at Adrian Mancini, who's so drab with his sin, and forgives me. And will make me as white as snow, as white and as pure as he is. That's called love and grace. I'm amazed by that. I am overwhelmed by that. And you see, pride... Pride puts me in control, and I measure myself by those around me. Oh, I'm better than them, or they're not as good as me, or that's for them. But we measure ourselves before God, who forgives me and sets me free because he's merciful. There's no competition. And so it's not me at the center. God needs to be 
at the center. And this is what Jesus is sort of sharing when he's sharing this story. And he does it beautifully with the story, with the punchline that everybody gets and think, wow. So pride is uh, not good for our health. Let's put it mildly. And it puts me at the center. Okay, well, so we don't compare ourselves to men, but in the presence of God and um, his forgiveness, that's the beauty. There's no, it's called grace. God gives grace. We don't have to work hard to become like him. There's grace and mercy that he transforms us. We are in Christ. It's amazing. So thirdly and finally then, if, if there's this attitude, this attitude of pride, now I don't want to be in the category of pride. We can all fall into the life of the Pharisee. Don't look at the Pharisee and say, that's not me, because you and me, we can fall into that. I know I can, and I'm sure that we can all do that from time to time. I want to be like the second person of this story, and uh, we move on. The tax collector, humility. Now this is really interesting. Because in the East, a Pharisee... Now, to you and I, we think of Pharisees and think, oh, terrible, horrible people. But in the East, because we're looking at it now, uh, interpreting from the, 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 um, the scriptures, there's a possibility that we can do that from time to time. But in the East at the time, the Pharisees were known to be very religious. And in some ways, quite a lot of people looked up to the Pharisees because of their lives, their exemplary lives. They did a lot of things, and we can see their attitude. Jesus showed up the attitude to be wrong with time. We can see that now. But Pharisees were considered to be exemplary. Tax collectors, on the other hand, during the day, were considered to be almost like, I mean, dare I say it, scum. It's a horrible thing to say, but they were tri- because a tax collector not only took your taxes, but took more off you and kept it for themselves. And they worked very often for the Gentile oppressors, the Romans. So, generally speaking, tax collectors. So, when they, they say, the Pharisees say, you mix with tax collectors and, and wine merchants. And uh, they would say, well, you know, you shouldn't be around those type of peoples, people would say. So, Jesus tells this story about heart, not what's on the outside, but what's on the inside. And so, this would have been at the time. <gasps> that type of story. <gasps> wow. To us, it's a bit lost, but that's the sort of background to the the setting of the story. And so when he shares now a completely different heart, the heart that God delights in, and it's shown in the life of a tax collector, this would have been amazing. So what about humility then? Well, we see that this man, he comes to God. um, He stands from a distance The tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but beat his chest and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Took a step back. He didn't look at himself and think of himself. He thought, God, have mercy on me. Not, here I am praying before you. It was, step back, God, have mercy on me. Humility puts others first. Humility, if pride thinks of self, me, then humility thinks of others, them. A humble person would defer to those around. And actually it says that in Philippians chapter 2. If you look at Philippians chapter 2, 
verses 3 to 9 onwards, it speaks about looking at others and honoring them and then taking the attitude of Christ who humbled himself of death on the cross. Read Philippians 2, verses 3 to 9 onwards, and you'll see exactly that. Humility is defined as being putting others first. Now, the great other is God himself. Others, as in people, but the greatest other is God, the creator himself. So in other words, humility towards God. I mean, I can have humility in life where I defer and prefer others, but the ultimate humility is towards God, the great other, the creator himself. So it, humility puts God at the center. So we sing, yeah, Jesus be at the center of it all. From my heart to the heavens, be at the center of it all. It's a great song. I love that. I could, that for me is something that just get in, try and get into my spirit all the time. Try, Lord Jesus, be at the center of it all. It puts God, defers to God. It, it looks to God. It looks to him first. And so that we place God at the center. By looking to him first, we begin to line up our hearts so that our hearts begin to place God at the center. It's not that we have to try really hard. Oh, I'm going to make some space. But as we begin to defer to God, prefer God, begin to honor God, seek to take a step back from the situation, the circumstance, my opinion, my heart, my like, my dislike, whatever it might be, and say, God, will you, will you have your way? Then something amazing happens. I begin to line up my heart and God begins to be first at the center of it all. That's humility, humility towards God. What this man did, he compared himself to God and threw himself at his mercy. He said, God, I need your mercy. I'm a sinner. Rather than look at other people, I pray more than them. Look at me. He said, God, I look at you. And to you, you're pure and I'm sinful. That's the power of humility. We look towards God first. If we look at our circumstance, if we look around us, if we look at others, you'll get upset, wound up. You won't be happy in life. We look towards God first. And look at ourselves in his image. He begins to line up our hearts with him. It's preferring and honoring God first. And so we can sing, it's all about you, Jesus. Not about me. We can begin to sing with a real true heart when we sing that song. It's all about you, Jesus. It really will ring true from our hearts. C.S. Lewis said this. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. I'm not at the center. God is at the center. I'm not at the center. Others are at the center. But God first, then others. We get it right in that order. Humility, said C.S. Lewis, is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. I had to sit down and look at that for about 10 minutes before I understood it, if I'm honest. Before it penny dropped but honor and prefer god first okay then whoopee do that's a nice little story for the morning what are we going to do about it how can we put god first how are we going to do that okay so with this we conclude so how can we put on humility how can we put god first how can we um be humble How can we grow in humility? I believe there's a simple simple plan 
but it takes a lifetime application. Something really simple that we can do this morning. Something simple that I can do. Something simple that you can do. It's no great shakes, but it's going to be a challenge because it will have a lifetime application for us. And I find something in the story of a man called John the Baptist. In John chapter 3, verse 30. It's not going to come up on the screen. You might want to make a note of it. But in John 3, verse 30. In John chapter 3, round about verse 30, there's a bit of a commotion going on as people begin to speak about how successful Jesus is and many people are running to Jesus. And John the Baptist had been speaking about God and repentance and lots of people have been following his message. And now other disciples are coming and saying that Jesus is, people are following him. And John the Baptist says this, On digesting that information, he knew the plan and purpose that God had for him, but he had a great heart. He had an incredible attitude. And on hearing the beginning success of Jesus and people flocking to hear his message, this is what John said about himself. In John chapter 3, verse 30, this is what John said of Jesus. He, Jesus, must become greater. I must become less. John 3.30. That's the background. I gave you the background to the story. The New American Standard Version of the Bible says it like this, writes it like this. He must increase, says John, but I must decrease. On hearing that Jesus is growing in popularity, people are following him, John says, that's the plan of God. I've set the way for him. Now I'm beginning to step back and Jesus will increase and I will decrease. He had a mega ministry to John the Baptist. I think if he was on the God channel, he'd have a lot of people following him and sending in quite a lot of money, actually. I wouldn't be surprised. I'm being a bit naughty there, maybe. But I wouldn't be surprised if it was that sort of thing today. And he was prepared to decrease and step back from the whole lot because he knew the plan of God for his heart and life. And I think there's something really, really amazing. Although it's, this isn't overtly what... Um, he's saying about life today. I think we can learn, I can learn something from John's attitude and John's sense of purpose. It's this. And this is what I've tried and I'm trying to lay hold of. And this is the simple plan of life application. It's this prayer, folks, for us, you, me, I, and thee, and your family and mine, and who I am. It's this. You know, Jesus, you must increase in my life. And little old me, I must decrease. By that, I don't mean to say that you must now forget who you are and become a robot and become like a a Christian automaton. I'm not saying that. But the me, my, and I in me, the pride, the ego, that aspect of my way, my say, I begin to put less of me, more of him. And the way to do that is to make the prayer of John the Baptist. Jesus, will you increase I'm going to seek to decrease. Would you allow that Holy Spirit increase in me more and more? We talk about growing deeper roots in Christ, letting Christ dwell in us and we dwell with him richly. Let the word of God dwell in us richly. There's this idea of growing, becoming more like, centering our hearts, our hearts being brought in more to an alignment with God. As we pray that prayer, Lord Jesus, God, Father, Holy Spirit, you increase in the center of my heart and will, my decisions, my life, my family, my attitude, my worries, my concerns, my joys, my plans, will you increase? And what I, I, I think, begin to line up with your will. 
to decrease and line up with your will. It doesn't mean to say you, you haven't got plans, you haven't got joy in your life. God gives us the desires of our hearts. So there's things in us that we can still desire and want to follow God on. It's a great prayer. It's a great attitude that John had. This is what places Jesus at the center of our hearts and lives and attitude. I say it's a lifetime application. The Holy Spirit brings us immediately when we're born again into the kingdom of God. It's a fact. The lights turn on. Our hearts are opened. And we grow and grow as we allow the partner with the heart of God grow in Christ so the outcome of this then, and so I, it's as simple as that. How are we going to be humble? He must increase, I must decrease. It's as simple as that. But that's the biggest challenge for my life and your life, isn't it? When things don't go the way I expect or want or how it should be. More you, Lord. More you, Lord. More you. I hear lots of prayers. More, Lord. More you. It means the very center of our heart, life and attitude and will. So, to finish then, the outcome. Let me read a couple of scriptures for you. There's a great outcome in this story that we read. We read here in verse 14, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, the one who was humble, in other words, not the one who was pride, went home justified before God. In other words, made right before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. That's the outcome. Those who humble themselves will be exalted, and those that exalt themselves will be humbled. There's the outcome for life. So humility then. In, in a couple of scriptures, just to sort of also include a bit later, the, the people so impressed by what Jesus shared then, later on uh, in the New Testament, some other writers have, have, have said this. Paul, Paul, Paul said this. In um, James chapter 4, verse 6, when we look at pride and the outcome of humility... Jesus said, you'll be raised. This is what James had to say in uh, James chapter 4, verse 6. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. The humble heart, the God-centered heart, knows the favor of God. I meet so many people that want favor, want the church to grow, want their lives. The humble heart will know the favor of God, in other words. Same verse, different translation. New American Standard Bible says this. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Favor, grace. God gives grace to the humble. Mercy, forgiveness. Those are amazing, liberating things that will free your heart and life from guilt, from fear, from anxiety, from shame. Set you free and set me free. God gives favor, grace to the humble. What a great outcome. What a great experience in life to have favor, grace of God, which is on us as Christians right now, if when we make him the center of our hearts and lives and will. Philippians 2, verses 8 to 9. That Philippians chapter again. And being found in appearance as a man, he, Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, this is the outcome God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. When Jesus lowered himself, God lifted him up. And you will find in life, when we lower me and say more of you, God, God will lift you. Lift you in your heart, your home, marriage, 
circumstance will know the grace of God. The outcome will be he will lift us. You know, when we're lifted, favored, graced, we're loved and looked after. You know, when, we're, when we lower ourselves, God lifts us and he loves us and looks after us. That's the grace and favor of God. We're lifted, loved, graced. It literally means to be graced. Not have a little bit, but be overwhelmed, smothered, continued with, held in the arms of a great, amazing God and Father. It's good for your health, good for your spiritual health. It puts us in a relationship with Jesus Christ. It helps us so that we can follow him. We be true disciples, true and real followers of Jesus. Humility, humble our hearts under his wonderful, loving hand, and he will raise us up. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, how great you are, how wonderful and amazing you truly are. You who had everything was prepared to give up everything so that I could have everything in you. That is amazing grace because I had nothing that I could give you. So this morning, we come before you, Father God, with hearts that are open, seeking, faltering, tripping up at times, running on other occasions, worrying, anxious, in the full spring of great joy, perhaps, for some. We come from all different walks of life, but we come before you this morning with open hearts, open minds, and an open spirit. We say, Lord Jesus, will you increase and the I, the me, my, and I in me decrease? Would you increase and be at the center of my plans, of my desires, of my home, of my finance, my marriage relationship, children, my hopes, fear. Some of us are fearful. Would you come and be at the center of my heart and life right now? May you increase now, Holy Spirit, at the center. Will you increase, Father, increase, Lord Jesus, that I might feel and know your guiding hand of love, wisdom, and kindness, that I might be lifted my circumstance, my mind, my thoughts, my hopes, my shattered dreams, that I might be lifted. It says in the word of God that he will wipe away the tear from every eye. Someone had that this morning and felt that for here this morning there may be people that are tearful, people that have cried many tears. The word for you this morning, someone had that, is that He will wipe away the tears from your eyes. Come and be at the center of our hearts and circumstance. I think of circumstance for some of us right now, Father. We feel it's out of control. Or we feel that it's something I just can't seem to be able to deal with. I seem to have no power over something. But you have. But you have. Oh, Jesus, you have. You can do more than I can ask or imagine. So come and be at the center of my circumstance. Even though I can't see you right now, Lord, I know that you are here. 
and I know that you are here right now. Be at the very center of my circumstance, our circumstance and life and heart, and come and have your way. We say, let, we let you have your way. More of you, more of you, Jesus, we pray, on our hearts and less of me. In your mighty name we pray. Now in this just this few seconds of silence, just you make that your own prayer. More of you, less of me, Lord. Whatever worries you, concerns you, challenges you, plans that you have, cry out. Father, I thank you that for the tax collector, you heard the cry of his heart when he came before you and said, help me, the sinner that I am. Have mercy, O God. You're our God of great mercy and kindness. You oppose the proud, but you give grace to the humble. And so right now, I pray that a sense of your grace, that people will feel graced, mercied, loved, lifted, released. Let a sense of release come around this place and in our hearts and lives, homes and families. Lord Jesus, how good you are. Let something miraculous happen in us, through us, and amongst us right now. For people that aren't even here this morning, people that we love and know that maybe haven't even heard what we're speaking about right now, let them feel loved, graced, mercied, changed. Father, we pray, let there come a flow and a release in this place, this house, and around us and amongst us and with our friends and relatives and relationships, we pray. Let something fresh come among us, on us, and in us, we ask. In Jesus' incredible and wonderful name we pray. Amen.